For eight years now, I've had this power fantasy, which is a little embarrassing, but I'm going to share it with you anyways because I'm desperate for sermon illustrations. As I've said before, I, when I was in California, I got to know Condoleezza Rice a little bit. I was on a committee with her at Stanford where she was provost. She went to the church that I, was, uh, uh, that I worked at. So for eight years, I've imagined getting a phone call that would go something like this. My assistant would say, Scott, the Secretary of State is calling. I'd answer and I'd say, hey, Condi. I'd call her Condi because I can. And she'd say, Scott, the president really wants to know if you would be willing to fly with him on Air Force One to the Middle East for his upcoming summit to pray with him. And he'd also really love it if you would give him some advice. Would you do it? And I'd say, well, I'll have to check my calendar, Condi. <laughs> That's my power fantasy. It's stupid, but it's mine. <laughs> we love power. Power tools, power lawnmowers, power walks, power naps, power points. Right? Every time I'm on an airplane and that thing takes off, I think, how cool would it be to be the pilot? Have all that power at your fingertips. We want power in our lives. And that's exactly what Jesus offers us. But not worldly power, something better. Power to live new lives, power to break the chains of addiction and loneliness and boredom and fear, power to have a life of adventure and significance and joy. So as we start the fall, I want to ask you a question. Where would you like to experience God's power in your life? Where would you like to experience his victory? Is it a health issue? A relationship problem? A marriage on the rocks? Career that's in the dumps? Depression you can't shake? Boredom? Restlessness? Where do you want God's power to just unleash in your life? In the verse we just read, Jesus says, You will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That is his promise. So let me ask you, are you experiencing God's heal the sick, raise the dead power in your life? Because you know what? I'm not. Not all the time. Sometimes, but not all the time. Are you? One of the questions I get asked a lot as a pastor is, if God is so real, if God is so powerful, well then, where is he? Why don't I experience him? Where is the exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask or even imagine? Because frankly, I could have imagined this much on my own. Where's the power? Because sometimes in my Christian life, it feels like I am trying to water ski behind a rowboat. You know, I am working really hard, but there's no power. So how do I get it? Well, I want to spend the next 10 weeks answering that question. But it all boils down to one word. Surrender. Surrender everything to Jesus. Our elders and staff are engaged in a strategic planning process right now. And the first key goal we've set is to create a culture of complete surrender to Jesus. And I just love that. I mean, what church puts that in its strategic plan? I mean, usually strategic plans are about what you're going to do and how you're going to grow and all that stuff. And we'll do some stuff and you'll hear about it. But, but the first one, the cornerstone, the one upon which everything else depends, is complete surrender to Jesus. And the reason I think that's so important is because as I've looked into my own soul, which isn't always a pretty picture, and as I've looked into the Bible and as I've prayed, I've become convinced that the reason that we do not experience Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead power in our lives is because we don't completely surrender everything to him. 
But when we surrender our time, our money, our habits, our hearts, our minds, our marriages, our jobs, our plans, everything, when we fully surrender to him, we experience power. Now, surrender, the problem with that is surrender is kind of a bummer word, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't sound very good to surrender. No, nobody, you know, when they're growing up, nobody says, you know, when I grow up, I really want to just be someone who surrenders all the time. You know, that's not the American dream. Surrender sounds like losing, and we don't like to lose. But when it comes to the spiritual life, I believe it is only by surrendering everything we've got to Jesus that we will experience his power. And that's the power paradox. It's by surrendering that we win. It's by giving up our lives that we give back, get back Jesus' power. It's kind of a brain twister. I mean, it sounds kind of like doublespeak, doesn't it? This summer, as a family, we watched a lot of Mariners games, went to a couple as well, and, and you know, and this wasn't exactly their stellar season, was it? <laughs> Raul's doing a good job, but you know, it just as a team, it really wasn't up there at the top. So, so we kind of lowered our standards as a family. You know, when they'd be losing by six runs or something like that, we'd say to our kids, hey kids, maybe they'll score one more and only lose by five. <laughs> Remember, with the Mariners, that's like winning. When I say that we have to surrender to win, that, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that as long as we are doing things our way on our own strength, we will only get as far as our own strength can carry us, which for some of us is pretty far, and that's part of the problem. We keep relying on it. But it is not as far as the power of the omnipotent, all-holy creator God can get us. We're good, but we're not that good. I believe most of the problems in our lives comes from a lack of genuine surrender to Jesus. If our marriage is in trouble, it's because we won't surrender the marriage to Jesus and do it God's way. Husbands aren't loving their wives the way Christ loves the church and, and helping them become everything they were intended to be. Wives aren't respecting their husbands and returning that love. Couples aren't praying together for their marriage to be healed. If we're bored, it's probably because we're living for the American Trinity, success, pleasure, happiness rather than surrendering to Jesus and embarking on this amazing adventure of bringing God's kingdom of right relationships here to earth. If we're consumed by anger, it's, it's probably because we won't surrender that person we're mad at to God, to let God deal with that person so that we can forgive. But when we surrender everything, and I mean everything, our time, our money, our plans, when we surrender our worldview that says that American trinity, success, pleasure, happiness, is all that there is, to God's worldview that says the most important thing is relationship with him and others. When we surrender our belief system that says, hey, this is what, what we see is all there is. To a belief system that says, no, there's a spiritual world. When we surrender our hearts to Jesus for a heart makeover. So that we begin to cry at what makes him cry and smile at what makes him smile. When we come to a decision, instead of making a list of pros and cons to kind of make a decision based on good common sense... And instead, surrender our plans to the Holy Spirit and wait and pray for Him to guide us. And we're willing to say, if there are a hundred cons, and even if it doesn't seem to make any sense at all, if God is for it, I'm going to do it. Then, when we surrender that way, then we experience the full-on power of Jesus in our lives. You know, the early Christians never doubted that Jesus was real. They prayed bold prayers, and the result was the sick were healed. They trusted God so much... That, that they weren't even afraid of death. They, they, they loved each other so fully, they had deep, meaningful friendships. They partnered with Jesus in the adventure of redeeming this world, so much so that they never sat around and wondered, gee, I wonder what the meaning of life is. 
No, for them, life was a, a bold adventure filled with transcendence, community, significance. They walked in his power, lived in his integrity, and shined with his joy because they were fully surrendered to him. One of my favorite stories about surrender in the Bible comes in 2 Kings chapter 5, and it's about a man named Naaman, who's not an Israelite, he's a Syrian, and Naaman is basically a five-star general. Very successful, very wealthy, commander of thousands, friends with the king of Syria. But he's got a problem. He's got leprosy. And try as he might, he has not been able to cure that on his own, fix that problem on his own. Naaman's like a lot of us. We have a lot of successes in our lives, but there's usually at least one thing. Some kind of leprosy. A family problem, sin problem, loneliness, boredom. We just can't fix it on our own. What's your leprosy? Well, Naaman, he doesn't believe in God at all, but he decides anyway to, to, to go to Israel to a prophet of God named Elisha to get this leprosy thing fixed. And Elisha says to him, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. Well, Naaman doesn't like that. This is what he says. This is a quote. Are not the rivers of Damascus, that is his country, are not the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Basically, he says, the Jordan River, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? I am Naaman, Syrian, captain of thousands and captain of industry. I, I'm the man. I, I'm not going to lower myself to wash in some muddy Jordan River. That would make me look silly, and I don't look silly. I'm Naaman. I never look silly, except when he says that. And then he goes on to say, and I love this, this quote. This is what he says. I thought that for me, the prophet would surely come out and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me. In other words, he wanted sort of fireworks, something significant to match his all-important significance, not something as ordinary as washing in a river, especially a foreign river. You see, he wants to be healed, but his way, not God's way. He wants to be healed as long as God doesn't ask him to do something he thinks is beneath him or isn't significant enough or isn't spiritual enough or that might make him look a little foolish. He is not surrendered. The result is no power, no healing, no victory. You see, it's a question of who's in control, us or God. I saw a sign this summer that said, dogs have masters, cats have staff. <laughs> we are God's cats. Right? Do it my way, God. This is how I want you to do it. But you know what? God knows better. There was an engineer at General Electric named Charles Steinmeitz, and he's kind of a legend in engineering circles. And after he retired, this, this one time GE called him back to fix this big complex of machines that nobody else could, could fix. And he walked around these machines for about 10 minutes, then he took a piece of chalk, made an X on one part of one machine, and then he went home. And the engineers disassembled that part of that machine, and sure enough, that was, that was where the problem was, and they were able to fix it. <clears throat> well, after that, they got a bill from Steinmetz for $10,000. And this was a while ago, so that was a lot of money. So they wrote him back and they said, okay, you were only here for 10 minutes. Could you itemize that bill? So he sent them back an itemized bill with two lines. Line one, making a mark with a cross, $1. Line two, knowing where to put it, $9,999. <laughs> God knows where to put the cross mark in your life. Will you submit? Will you surrender? Well, after Naaman throws his little hissy fit, his servant says to him, um, Master, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? 
How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman swallows his pride, does what God tells him to do, and he dips himself in the Jordan River seven times and he's healed. And I think that every one of those seven times he dipped himself in the river, he was surrendering something. First time he dipped, he washed off his pride. Second time, he washed off his anger. Third time, he washed off his need to control. And then his expectations. And then his sense of entitlement. And then his distrust. And then his fear. What are maybe seven things you need to surrender to God so you can experience his power? Or maybe dipping seven times was a reminder that we have to surrender some things over and over and over again because we surrender them, but then we're government givers and we take them back. Or some things, like our kids, we have to surrender in stages. You know, surrender them when they're little, and then when they get to be teenagers, you have to surrender them all over in a whole new way. And then when they mouth off at you, you have to surrender them, really surrender them when they're doing that, right? But every time we surrender to Jesus, just like Naaman, we're healed through God's power. Well, how does this all play out in real life? Well, one of my role models in this church is Jean Brown, and she has lived a surrendered life in ways that I really admire. So I have invited her to come and talk a little bit about how she has experienced God's power through surrendering to him. Thank you, Scott. My story has to do with children. My husband and I were not going to have any children. He was actually going to be a college professor and I was going to be the president of a bank. These were the dreams of our early marriage. But after about eight years, fortunately, we both came to the conclusion that children might be a good idea. So, <clears throat> at that time, I was with the Bank of America, and it looked like they were going to be giving me a small branch to manage. The Lord really moved in my heart to decide between the bank 24-7 and a family. I believe I made the right decision to leave the bank, and for 10 years, my husband worked two jobs so that I could stay home. We got pregnant in about six months, only to lose our first baby to a miscarriage. After that disappointment, we waited an appropriate amount of time and then began trying again to no avail. Some time went by, and then we started seeking the aid of doctors and taking the temperature thing. There was some frustration with that and some funny stories, but I finally got pregnant with our daughter. So after 10 years of marriage, we had a baby, and she was fabulous. So, of course, we thought it would be good to have another one. I got pregnant pretty quickly, but we lost the next baby to miscarriage. Like the first miscarriage, it was a hard loss. The second miscarriage happened close to my father's unexpected death, and my mother had already died, generating uh, significant grieving and emotional loss. A bit later, we had difficulty once again but got pregnant only to lose the next baby to miscarriage. We had now been pregnant four times with a beautiful little girl, along with three significant losses. It was draining and emotional, to say the least. 
I was miserable, fearful, and depleted. We were not attending church regularly at that time, but I was going to Bible study fellowship. I remember the agony of praying each month and being disappointed. <clears throat> Finally, I remember saying to the Lord, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Each month feels like another miscarriage and it hurts too much. If we aren't supposed to have another child, I can give it up. I need to live for the family you have given me already. I had finally let go and given it all to God. Of course, you know what happened next. I got pregnant <laughs> with our son. I spent much of the beginning of my pregnancy wondering when I was going to lose him. By that time, we were attending church and belonged to a church family. That was a good thing, because when my son was born, we needed their support. At four days old, we almost lost him to a hypoglycemic reaction to birth. Jesus was very present and close to me when we found our son unconscious. He guided us every step of the way, preserving our son's life. I prayed a lot during those early years. They weren't articulate prayers. They were pleading prayers. But it was in the giving up prayer that I experienced peace, a kind of liquid joy. I've had to give a lot of things up over the years, and on all occasions, God has expressed, Romans 8, 28, in the results, that he works in all things to bring good. A few years ago, when our son was 22, I found myself praying once again for his life, for his faith, for a job, for him. When the Holy Spirit nudged me to surrender him fully, and trust Jesus to guide his life, and for me to let go. I experienced that same peace and joy I had years ago, trusting God to bring good, and he has. Shortly after that prayer, our son attended a retreat and met the woman of his dreams. Just this last month, he married her, and our joy continues as we praise Jesus for so much good and his continual guidance for us to surrender all to him. There are a lot of surrenderings in Jean's story, surrendering her career plans, surrendering her family plans and learning to be content with the family she had rather than the family she thought she should have, surrendering her fears and learning to trust God, surrendering her time to immerse herself in a church community. And in each of those surrenders, she felt God more, had more peace, had more joy, had more power. And in some cases, God gave her back what she had surrendered. After her kids were older, she was able to have a career. She was able to have children in the first place. 
But even if that had not happened, Jean had already reached a point of being at peace, being within, having joy because of what God was doing, no matter what happened. She stopped trying to control, she surrendered her plans, and the result was the power of God. So where do you want to experience God's heal the sick, raise the dead power in your life this fall? And what might you need to surrender to Jesus in order to experience that power? Your plans, your marriage, your need to control, your time, your belief systems. Are you willing to do something that might make you look a little bit foolish? Where do you need to surrender so that you can have power? Pastor John Ortberg talks about how the first time he went water skiing, the boat wasn't powerful enough to get him up. But, so he kind of struggled with that. But then he noticed that there was this button on it called power tilt. So he told his wife to hit it, which, which she did. And the propeller sunk deeper into the water and, and the boat just took off. In fact, faster than he wanted it to go. This was his first time water skiing and he was kind of scared. So he tried to you know, get his wife to, to slow down by motioning to her with his hands. But his kids misread the signals and said, Dad wants you to go faster. <laughs> he said it was kind of a wild ride with a spectacular finish. But it was a ton of fun. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, it is like hitting the power tilt button. We're out of control. It's a little bit scary. But it is a heck of a ride. And there is power, power, wonder-working power when we do. So for the next 10 weeks, will you join me in making this, the, 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 the words of the old hymn, your daily prayer. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And you will go from trying to water ski behind a rowboat to full-on power tilt. Jesus, you know how to surrender. You surrendered the comforts of heaven itself to come and be born in a barn to find us when we'd run away from you. So, so by your spirit, Lord, help us to Learn how to surrender everything we've got. Put it all into your hands. Put it all at the foot of your cross so that we can know the power that you died to give us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.